All right, we are in our winter series in Exodus. The series title is called I Am Your God. Uh, last week we met a man named Moses who was raised in Egypt, but he ran away uh, from the Pharaoh, came into a supernatural encounter with God through the burning bush. Moses calls, uh, God calls Moses back to Egypt as God is going to rescue his people the Israelites. And so we see Moses go back to Egypt and he's going to face off with the king of Egypt, Pharaoh. Now, tonight's story in scripture that we, we're going to look at is a very famous story of the 10 plagues. It's the big battle between God and Pharaoh. Um, now, there's 10 plagues. Um, and if you would have seen um, you know, Prince of Egypt or the Exodus, this is the big action scene. You know, this is where all the action's happening and stuff. And, and we're going to go through, um, tonight we're going to go through nine of those plagues. And then next week we're going to go through the final plague we pass over. But tonight, as we look at this story, the really important question that we want to be asking tonight is this. Why did God send the plagues? Why did this big battle happen to start off with? And I think this is really important for us to know because we know these plagues and we'll go through these plagues and we'll see this battle and everything, but you've got to go, why did this even happen? And that's the question we want to answer today. Now Moses and his brother Aaron go back to Egypt. They meet with the Israelite leaders and show them the signs and wonders that God showed. And now it's time for the big face-off. It's time for the battle. And so we're going to begin in Exodus chapter 5. Verse 1 to 4. Um, it's going to be on the screen. It'll be on um, down the bottom of our YouTube feed as well. Exodus 5, 1 to 4. After Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God Almighty, the God of Israel says. Let my people go. Right? Everyone knows that line, right? Let my people go. So that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord? that I should obey him and let Israel go. I do not know God. I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous and you are stopping them from working. Pause. So God's people are stuck in Egypt as slaves. The Israelites are stuck in Egypt as slaves and God sends Moses and says, look, I'm going to send you and through you, I'm going to rescue my people. And so Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, hey, this is what God said. This is you know, the God that I represent. God said, hey, let my people out of slavery, let them go. But Pharaoh's response in verse 2, this is the key to this whole passage. Pharaoh says, who is the Lord? Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. If the plagues or the whole story of the plagues is an answer, then the question that God is answering is this, who is the Lord? 
Who is the Lord that I should obey him? See, Pharaoh was not questioning the fact that the Hebrews had a God, right? Egyptian, Egyptians, Egypt, was a land full of many gods, 114 gods, actually, that they would worship in different places in different times for different things. So the Israelites, having their own God, was no big deal. Yeah, fine, you have your God, you can go worship. But it became a big deal to Pharaoh. It became a big deal to Pharaoh when suddenly this Hebrew God, this Israelite God, started to tell Pharaoh what to do. And hence, Pharaoh's like, wait a minute. Why are you telling me what to do? Who are you? And why should I obey you? And as much as this is a story that has been told thousands of years ago, actually, we find ourselves in the same situation in our society right now. You know, the world that we live in is full of many gods. Some of these gods are what we would call religious gods, different religions, different um, ideologies. But some of the gods that we worship in our day-to-day are things, especially we see in the Western world, things like comfort, pleasure, money, power, status, fame. All the people in the world, we all worship something. We all honor something. We are drawn to something, some kind of God in shape and size. And the problem is, not the problem, the situation is, it's okay to worship whatever God you want to worship. See, that's the, what we call tolerance. Right? That's the society we live in. You want to pursue money? That's fine. You want to pursue pleasure? That's fine. You want to believe in Buddhism? That's fine. You're allowed and have the freedom and the liberty to do whatever you want. But the problem comes when suddenly someone tells you what you should and shouldn't believe or should and shouldn't do. Suddenly, it's like, look, everyone can believe whatever the God they want. And then suddenly when they impede on your personal space, we become defensive. Wait a minute. You can't tell me what to do. You can't tell me what to believe. Suddenly our our sense of freedom and liberty is in question. We become defensive and become offended that some other God is telling me what to do. Now, out of all the gods in this world that we worship, do you know who the most offended God is? It's the God of self, me. The number one God that is worshipped in the world is me. Itself, the worship of me, my comfort, my pleasure. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I'm going to make the decisions in my life. I'm going to be the master of my ship. And so any other God, any other religion or any other ideology that tells me what I can and can't do, we sound like, wait a minute, you're intruding my personal space. I'm offended. You know, it's funny, right? During the whole COVID period of lockdown, And we definitely pray for Victoria because they're going through a tough now. 
You know what's funny? I've been a member at the gym. I know I, that itself is pretty funny, right? Okay, let's start the joke again. I've been a member at the gym. <laughs> That's pretty funny. I've been, I've been donating to my gym <laughs> for the last 11 years. How do I know that? It came up on my Facebook feed. You know, memories, like, you know, Facebook memories, it showed me that 11 years ago, I joined the gym. I was like, man, I've been donating to this charity a long time, <laughs> right? I, I don't necessarily like going to the gym. I don't know if you could tell by my amazing physique. The gym and I, we don't really get along. Our timetables don't match. They're open when I'm awake. You know, like, you know, they, they, they hurt me. And I do nothing, but I pay them to hurt me. And you know, like, and everyone that knows, I'm, I'm not a gym guy. But you know what's funny? They close the gyms. They say, you can't go to the gym. And one morning I woke up and I was like, I want to go to the gym. <laughs> why, why was that? It's because I actually, it's not that I wanted to go because that thought went out straight away. But it was this idea that you can't go. It's like they put this liberty restriction. And it's like, you can't do this. You can't do this. You know what? That's, that's, we're all like that. You know, like suddenly when we are not allowed to do something, we are heightened in our desire to do that. And that's because we worship the God of self. Don't tell me what to do. I'm going to do. I'm going to make those decisions. So now that the gyms are back open, I clearly have made decisions to not go back to the gym. <laughs> but that's my choice, not New South Wales Health choice. That's on me. Pharaoh is asking the same question to Moses. God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, I'm the king of Egypt. Who is this God that is telling me what to do? Who are you? And so God, as a response to this question, brings about these 10 plagues, right? As a response to Pharaoh's question, who are you that I should listen to you and obey your voice? And God is going to say, I am who I am. Now I'm going to show you who I am. And along the way, I'm going to absolutely destroy you. And that's why we see these plagues. And that's what you need to understand about why these plagues were given by God. It was to show who God is, His might and power. That's why. So we're going to say we're going to run through nine plagues. And I will, tr I will do this quickly because there are nine of them. Okay. And we will have some photos. There is one, there is one photo that I will warn you, it is a little bit disgusting but it is PG rated because our services are PG rated, okay? The first plague is this. It's the plague of blood. The first plague God brings, he's right in the heartland of the Egyptian nation, the economy and the livelihood. It is the Nile River. The Nile River is the sense of pride and joy of Egypt. Now, you've got to understand, Egypt isn't just Egypt, a country in Africa at the moment. Egypt was the most powerful nation in the world at that time. 
And so what God does is you're not going to listen to me, Pharaoh, fine. I'm going to turn your Nile, your food source, your economy into blood. And so he does. But what's interesting is the Egyptian magicians, right? The Egyptian magicians actually replicate this plague with their own sorcery and they actually turn water into blood as well. So Pharaoh looks at that and goes, hmm, no biggie, turns Moses away. Second plague is the plague of frogs. The, God feel, I like this one. God fills the land with frogs, like fills it. Uh, Exodus chapter 8, verse 3. The Nile will teem with frogs. They will come up into your palace, into your bedroom, onto your bed, into your, into your thermomixes, into the houses of your officials, onto your treadmills, on your people, in your ovens. Literally, they will be everywhere. Now, this is a cute frog. Hmm? All right? Now, we kind of think, you know, we, we found one of these in our home the other, about a month ago, and it's cute, right? Okay, a few of those, cute, right? This is an Australian cute frog. That's an Aussie frog. Okay, that's a cane toad from, uh, well, originated in, in, in Queensland. Now, Imagine your house, your bedroom, your car, everything with those frogs everywhere. But once again, the Egyptian magicians replicate this. Now, I want to pause here, right? When we talk about Egyptian, magi Egyptian magicians, oh, it's hard to say, hey, Egyptian magicians, okay. They replicate this. Now, the dark arts is not just a Harry Potter thing, okay? In this world, whether you believe this or not, whether you've seen this or not, there, are dark, there is darkness, there is sorcery, there is magic. Now, what you think or feel about that, that's up to you, right? And whether you don't believe that doesn't mean it doesn't exist, right? It's there, it's real. And so... The Egyptian magicians, they, they, they replicate and they start building these frogs and they, these frogs all turn up. And, but Pharaoh starts to feel this, right? Because he's in his palace and there's these frogs everywhere. And he's starting like, this is annoying. I don't know if he was angry, but this is really annoying. So Pharaoh tells Moses, hey, pray to God that God will get rid of the frogs. And so Moses does that. And then, but, but then we read in Exodus 8.15, but when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord had said. And this is going to become a pattern for, for the plagues. God's going to bring about a plague. Pharaoh's going to feel discomfort. And then he's going to go back to Moses and say, okay, well, can you tell God to get rid of it and then you can go? And then Moses is going to pray. God's going to make the plague disappear. And the Pharaoh is going to be like, hmm, okay, back to normal. I'm not going to let you go. I'm going to change my mind. Okay? So you're going to see this. You're going to see this. But you know what's funny about this? It's going to happen over time. But as soon as Pharaoh saw that the problem was gone, he felt no obligation to honor God. No obligation to think about God. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, wow, that's, 
us. You know, when we have problem, first point of contact, God help me. You know, when we're in emergency, we go to God. When we're going through real big trouble, you know, please pray for me. I need, I'm going to pray. I'm going to spend some time with God. And as soon as you feel relief, as soon as the problem is gone, you're like, whew, don't need to pray anymore. Don't need God anymore. So as much as we look at Pharaoh and go, man, why do you keep changing your mind about God and honoring God? We do the same. That's what we need to know. Thirdly, the plague of gnats. What's a gnat? This is a gnat. I think this is my, the, the one that I don't like the most. It's like they're like mosquitoes. I hate mosquitoes. I don't know why God created mosquitoes. I think mosquitoes are from the devil. Now, they fill all of Egypt. If this was me, I just would have died. What's interesting about this one is it's the first plague that the Egyptian magicians could not replicate. And actually, they declare this, wow, this actually must be the finger of God. So they actually declare that. But even though they confess that Pharaoh's heart is hardened, he doesn't listen. The fourth one is the plague of flies. They got rid of the gnats and suddenly the flies came. Now, but what's different about this plague is, is the first plague, now you can't tell, but that's a swarm of flies. Thank you, Google. That's the best it gets. This is the first plague where God makes a distinction on who is punished and who isn't. So till the first three plagues, everyone was affected. But starting plague four, God distinguishes between the Egyptians and the Israelites. And we see this in chapter 8, verse 20 to 23. But on that day, I will deal differently with the land of Goshen, where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there, so that you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. So we see all these flies everywhere in Egypt, except for where the Israelites live. Once again, Pharaoh says, please take them away. I'll let you go. And Moses says, okay, I'm going to pray. And so Moses prays. All the flies disappear. And then Pharaoh goes, oh, all the flies are gone. I'm going to change my mind. You're stuck. Uh, the fifth plague is the plague of livestock. Uh, Exodus 9, 6, and the next day the Lord did it. All the livestock in the Egyptians of the Egyptians died, but not one of the animals belonging to Israel had died. Pharaoh investigated and found that not even one of the animals of the Israelites had died, yet his heart was unyielding, and he would not let the people go. And this hardened heart of Pharaoh we're seeing. Uh, six, this is the gross one. It's the plague of boils. Now, what's a boil? A boil is a skin condition. Uh, check this. Oh, grot. Um, it's, a, it's a painful skin disease that creates suffering and infection. And we see that he just lets it go. And all the Egyptians have, are, are just full of boils. Um, what's interesting about the sixth plague is that it's the first time we see a change in Pharaoh's heart. The first five plagues, the language that is used to describe Pharaoh's heart is that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Pharaoh hardened his own heart. But we actually see that at the end of the sixth plague and the following plagues, the language that is used to describe Pharaoh's heart is that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Now the question we have to quickly answer is why would God harden Pharaoh's heart? 
And, and the quick answer is this. God gave Pharaoh ample opportunity to humble himself and acknowledge God as the Lord, and yet Pharaoh chooses against that. And in all 10 cases, as much as we see God's role in hardening in Pharaoh's heart, these are also decisions made by Pharaoh himself as he hardens his own heart. And so God hardens the heart of Pharaoh by revealing himself you know, how does God harden Pharaoh's heart? He just turns up and says, look, I'm God. And Pharaoh's like, mm, I don't like that. And so Pharaoh turns away. And Pharaoh can't accept God. And as much as we, can, we read that God was hardening the heart of Pharaoh, it was also Pharaoh hardening his own heart as well. The seventh plague is the plague of hail. God sends a destructive hailstorm that destroys everything that was out in the open. That's not my car poor person. But one of the things that stands out in this plague is we read in chapter 9, verse 20 to 11, those officials of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord hurried to bring their slaves and their livestock in. But those who ignored the word of the Lord left their slaves and livestock in the field. See, now what we're seeing is we're seeing a clear divide in the Egyptian people. Even in the Egyptian people, some of them are starting to go, oh, maybe this God is for real. And they are starting to actually convert and believe in what God is saying. So they're starting to act upon that. They're starting to fear God. And that's why they bring them underneath the uh, shelter. Once again, Pharaoh at this point, he's devastated and he acknowledges his sin by not obeying God and promises to let the people go once the hail has stopped. But then we read in verse 34, 35, when Pharaoh saw that the, the rain and hail and the thunder has stopped, he sinned again. He and his officials hardened their hearts. So Pharaoh's heart was hard and would not let the Israelites go, just as the Lord had said through Moses. The eighth plague is the plague of locusts. Locusts are like grasshoppers. Exodus 10, 1 and 2, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his officials, so that I may perform these signs of mine among them, that you may tell your children and your grandchildren how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians and how I performed my signs among them, and that you may know that I am the Lord. Now remember what these plagues are answering. What, 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 what's the question that these plagues are answering? The question is, who is the Lord? And what God is saying is, I'm giving these plagues. I'm showing you so that you can tell your kids, you can tell your grandkids, and for generations to come, and even for us, we read these plagues. And what we're meant to take out of these plagues is that the, the, the God who is behind these plagues, He is the Lord. Once again, Pharaoh says, you can go once the locusts are gone. Locusts go, Pharaoh changes his mind. They're still stuck in Egypt. The ninth plague is the plague of darkness. Darkness, and the scripture says, it's not just darkness, but it's darkness that can be felt. This is not just darkness. This isn't just about what you can see or what you can't see, but it was the darkness is actually about how you feel. It wasn't just sight, but it was actually your heart. Now, Pharaoh feels this and says, hey, you can let the people go, but not your animals. But then he changes his mind. And so they're still stuck in Egypt. Now, next week, we're going to look at the, the last plague. And the last plague is the most devastating plague. And it's the plague of the 
firstborn, where every single family and every single animal's family, the firstborn of each family will die, including Pharaoh's son. And that's going to be the straw that breaks the camel's back, and then we're going to see Pharaoh let the people go. And that's next week. Now, I just want to finish with three observations from this story. Uh, which I think are very important. Firstly, the first is very simple. God is mighty and in control. Now, remember the question. The question is, who is the Lord? God is answering the question, who is the Lord? And he's sending these plagues one after another, one after another, one after another. Now, you've got to understand, these plagues devastated Egypt, the most powerful nation in the world livestock, you know, all their, their wheat and barley. And then the hailstorm came and knocked out things. And then, you know, the, the whole economy is just up in disarray. If you ever doubted God's power and might, these plagues should allow us to see a clear example of how big and powerful God, Yahweh God, God of the Bible actually is. Each plague is an example of the power and authority that our God has over nature and of man and having devastating impact over the enemy. His power and might is not only seen in bringing down the plagues, but actually in also his ability to stop the plagues. And we forget that part, right? God brought down all the plagues, but at the, at the answer of a prayer... God also stopped the plagues. Because you've got to remember, God turned the water in the Nile into blood, but it was also God that turned it back into water. Right? God sent the flies and then he sent them away. This is the power and might of our God. Secondly, we see this idea that God is in control. See, not only do we see the power of God, but we see the control of God over the whole situation. What's interesting is if you actually read through the story, and I hope that you already have through your devotionals, because that was a week ago or two weeks ago, God actually told Moses, hey, you're going to go and Pharaoh's not going to listen to you. And I'm going to bring these plagues and Pharaoh's not going to listen to you. So God already knew. God already told Moses that Pharaoh wouldn't just let them go, but that Pharaoh would harden his heart and continue to reject God. God knew this from the beginning. And so the question is, if God knew this, why did God have to get through 10 plagues to begin with? Why not just go to 10? But the answer to that is this. It was all part of God's plan to answer that question, who is the Lord and why should I listen to him? If God had given just one plague, some people or even Pharaoh might have thought, hmm, one-off fluke. But plague after plague, plague after plague, God has his answer all carefully planned out. Each plague that God gives is a build-on from the, from the one before and put it all together is God's perfect controlled answer who is the lord this is who i am this is who i am this is the power and might of who i am god is in control and finally god is 
mighty. Secondly, God is in control. And finally, this is a question that all of us need to answer in our lives. See, Pharaoh's question is such a legitimate question. Who are you, God, that I should listen to you? Who are you, Lord, that I should obey your voice? See, it's a question that we all need to answer ourselves. If we can't find the answer to this or choose not to answer this, then we will never acknowledge God as Lord and Savior, Lord over creation and over our lives. If we can't work out who God is, then we will never work out why we should listen to him. Let me say that again. If we can't work out who God is, if you can't answer that question, who is the Lord? Then you have no reason to listen to him. But it's a question we all need to work out. And the Bible tells us that we can know God. We can know God through his son, Jesus, because Jesus and God are one. And this is why knowing Jesus is the foundation of our faith, because it helps us to answer the question, who is the Lord? Who is God? That we should listen and obey him. He is the great I am. He is the great I am. And because he is the great I am, I will listen to him and I will obey him. So as we conclude, let me ask you, how do you answer this question? How do you answer this question when the God of creation turns up and says, I want to give you this life. I want to give you this purpose. I want, to, I want you to live like this. And someone says, who are you to tell me what to do? Who are you that I should listen to you? So how do you answer that? Can I tell you? If I was to hang out with you, if I was to hang out with you for a week, and the way you lived your life, what you prioritized, how you spent your time and your money, I can tell you exactly how you answer that question, who is the Lord? The majority of the world live their life as if God does not exist. So who is the Lord to them? Nobody. God is a nobody, so I don't have to listen to him. I'm just going to listen to myself. You show me your life. You don't have to tell me what answer. You don't have to give me some you know, Sunday school answer. God is the creator of the universe. You know, show me your life. Show me how you obey God or you don't obey God. And I will tell you what your answer is and what your view upon God is. See, friends, if you believe, if you believe with your heart that the Lord is God, that the Lord, the great and almighty creator of the heavens and the earth, he loved me so much and saved me when I was dead in my sin through sending his son Jesus to die on the cross, then that would translate in my life. It would translate in my life. It would translate in the way that I think, in the way that I deal with people. That's reality. That's reality. So, for example, um, 
I, I use this example, I'll use it again. It's a good example. Don't mess with something that's not broken, right? I believe in my head that KFC is not good for you. I really do. The, the crowd's saying boo. <laughs> Tough crowd. I believe in my head that the oil that the chicken is cooked in is delicious, but it's also not good for my heart nor my arteries. And if I keep eating it every day, I will have a heart attack and I will meet God face to face quicker than if I didn't. But ask me what I had for lunch today. Those magical letters, KFN the C. Why? Because I might tell you that that's what I think I believe. But in reality, in reality, it's just something that I know. It's not something that I believe. You show me your life. You show me what you live for. Show me your weekly schedule. Show me your bank account. Show me, show me who you hang out with and what you did. I'll tell you straight away where God sits in your life. And I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but I'm just saying it's pretty obvious. This is a very important question that each of us needs to answer, but it's not a question that we answer just with a one-liner. It's an answer that you live out in your life. Who is God that I should listen and obey his voice? If you believe, if you believe with everything in your mind, heart, strength and soul that God is the creator, that we live in his universe and that we exist for him, then that will show in your life. But the reason why it doesn't show is because it's still something that you might know, but not something that you believe. And I'm not saying that if you don't believe it, that you're wrong or you're a bad person. That's just your choice. Everyone here gets to make that choice. But I make that choice for myself. And I'm going to help my own children. And I'm going to tell them about stories about how God worked in might and power in my life, in our church community. And I'm going to tell them this is who I believe God is and this is how I'm trying to live that out in my life. And hopefully that will have a positive impact on my children so that one day they will be able to answer the question, who is the Lord? And they will be able to say, he is my heavenly father who loves me, who sent his son Jesus to die for me and change my life. So let's not just be critical towards Pharaoh. That's the easy bit. The easy bit is to look to each other and go, well, you don't do this and you're critical and you're cynical and you don't come to church and you don't give your offering and, and you don't serve. And Before we even do that, take a moment to look at yourself. Take a moment to look in the mirror. Take a moment to reflect and, and ask the question, who is God to you? Because who God is to you will be naturally translated into your life. And what I'm telling you is this, and I can only tell you what I know out of Scripture and my own life is that God is real and that God is with us and this life is just a part of God's eternity and we exist for God, not God exists for us. And so because that's what I believe, 
I'm going to do my best to live out and translate that into my life by looking after the people around me, by, by, by sharing God's truth. I don't, it's grey whether God likes KFC or not. I'm still undecided about that. And until I get the final answer, I'm just going to continue to eat it. I figure it's a win-win. I either just enjoy what God has created for me or, or I die and I just meet God. You know, Either way, it's a win. But tonight, I want you to reflect on that. All of these plagues are trying to answer that one question. Who is the Lord? So let me ask you, who is the Lord to you that you would obey his voice or not obey his voice? Let's pray.